white supremacy and capitalism have to do with beauty standards? Ooh, I started off this episode with a thought-provoking question. <laughs> In this week's episode, award-winning reporter and freelance beauty writer Jessica Defino breaks it down for us. Are you ready? Welcome to a brand new episode of Beauty Unlocked, the podcast. If you're new to Beauty Unlocked, I'm Carissa, host of this circus. Welcome, friends. If you've been a long-time listener, you know all about the shenanigans and utter fuckery that is Beauty Unlocked. <laughs> Are you ready? Welcome, friends, to a brand new episode of Beauty Unlocked. How's it going? I hope everyone's having a lovely week so far. I am recording this episode a bit early. I'm trying to get my life in order. Time management, very important. But we are recording this episode, me, myself, and I are recording this episode um, a couple of days before. Before we release it. <clears throat> so, yeah. But I hope everyone is having a lovely, lovely week so far. I hope you enjoyed uh, our last two episodes where yours truly was a guest on For Better Self and Net Worth podcast hosted by Ella. And we discussed self-acceptance, hustle culture, our podcasts, and so much more. So, I hope you had time to actually give those two episodes a listen. But if you haven't, then what are you waiting for? Stop what you're doing and go and give them a listen right now. And while you're at it, head on over to Instagram and give Ella a follow. You can find her at Economic. That's Economic on Instagram. Before we get into the thought-provoking article written by Jessica DeFino, I would like to give a huge shout out to our new listeners and seasoned listeners of Beauty Unlocked. We have over 11,000 downloads and we have listeners coming from over 50 countries. And check this out. I recently saw that we've added two more countries to this list of listeners. First is Finland. Hi, Finland. And Fiji. Bula to our listeners in Fiji. Thank you so much for tuning in. I cannot believe. <laughs> I cannot believe. First of all, I cannot believe that anyone is actually listening to this podcast but bula to our listeners in fiji i am honored that you actually tune in tuned in to beauty unlocked i cannot speak because i am overwhelmed and overcome with emotions but seriously i would like to thank each and every one of you who tune in listen to me and deal with my constant ranting and raving you're the best so thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting Beauty Unlocked and on to hitting many more milestones. I do have huge plans for Beauty Unlocked and <laughs> once I get my life in order, <laughs> um, all these like ideas that I have and content that I want to create will materialize. <laughs> um, but thank you for your patience and your support. 
So you're probably getting antsy by now and rolling your eyes and thinking, right, enough, Carissa. Let's get to the meat of this episode. The reason why we tuned in, (laughs) tuned in. Oh, God, I can't speak. See, normally I would edit these parts out, but I'm just like, no, no, we're leaving them in. So, you know, it's we're all about being real and raw here. So the article, How White Supremacy and Capitalism Influence Beauty Standards, um, written back in October or on October 19th, uh, 2020 last year i came across it not too long ago well maybe like a month or two after it was written and finally decided to bring it to you my lovely and in all honesty the best listeners out there so how white supremacy and capitalism influence beauty standards in our new beauty column standard issues this was found by the way on teenvogue.com so they have a new beauty column called standard issues uh beauty reporter jessica defino digs up the capitalist colonialist patriarchal foundation of the industry Ooh, i love it hello my name is jessica defino and i'm a beauty reporter out to destroy the beauty industry yes Okay, fine. Maybe that's taking it a tad too far. But I would like to destroy beauty standards, a feat I'll be attempting with standard issues, my new monthly column for Teen Vogue. First of all, you're not taking it a tad too far. Destroy it. Actually, like you said, destroy beauty standards because the beauty industry is always going to be there. But destroy and bring down those beauty standards. On with the article. In my opinion, beauty standards are the gnarled and rotten roots of all that's wrong with the industry and perhaps the world. Absolutely right. They are tools of oppression that reinforce sexism, racism, colorism, classism, ableism, ageism, and gender norms. They are built into our societies and embedded into our brains. I've said this so often. They contribute to anxiety, depression, dysmorphia, eating disorders, self-harm, and low self-esteem. Even the oxymoronic term beauty standards sets me off. Oh, oh, Jessica, if only you knew how it sets me off too. I mean, imagine trying to contain a concept as immeasurable and incorporeal and emotional and energetic and evolving as beauty within one set standard. Why? For what reason? To serve whom? (sighs) Be still, my heart. Just, ah, uh, this, this fires me up. I'm so ready for this article. Before I can answer those questions, I have to define beauty standards for the purpose of this column. Beauty standards are the individual qualifications women are expected to meet in order to embody, and I say this in air quotes, the feminine beauty ideal, and thus succeed personally and professionally. The terms women and feminine are used here because the beauty industry was deliberately built on the binary, a foundation that props up the patriarchy and negatively impacts women, men, and non-binary people alike. But that's a story for another column. These qualifications are clearly and constantly communicated to us through film, television, literature, magazine, the school system, the medical system, politics, personal relationships, social media, the law, and advertising. It feels akin to brainwashing. Psychologists have argued that it may be all but impossible to separate what we inherently and individually find beautiful from what society tells us is beautiful. Whew, I, ooh, I, ooh, that, I, the longest breath, the longest breaths where I didn't want you to hear those breaths, but this article takes my breath away and I love it. I love every single moment of this. Both beauty standards and the feminine beauty ideal are moving targets. 
They change over time and from culture to culture. However, thanks to Western colonialism, more on that in just a minute, Eurocentric beauty standards have essentially become global beauty standards. Through my research in Africa, I have interviewed those who are cosmetic cosmetics dealers, and they say Africa and Asia follow the movements of the West. Amira Adawe, founder of the non-profit organization The Beauty Well Project, tells Teen Vogue, What we are now seeing in beauty trends in America in three years will reach Africa and Asia. Western beauty standards are the products of a capitalist, colonialist, patriarchal, white supremacist society contrived to keep us consuming and consumed. There is no legitimate historical or biological justification for the beauty myth. Naomi Wolf writes in The Beauty Myth how images of beauty are used against women. She notes that anthropologists haven't found proof of the theory that today's ideals stem from the evolutionary process of mate selection. Dr. Hannah McCann, a cultural studies lecturer at the University of Melbourne, agrees. To suggest that there are universal ideas of beauty that transcend culture, completely fails to comprehend the way that ideals of beauty have been constructed in order to be sold, she writes. Of course, the general concept of beauty has existed for centuries, but early on, beauty seemingly had less to do with the surface and more to do with the soul. In History of Aesthetics, author, I'm going to butcher the author's name, and I'm so, so sorry, Vladislav Tatarkiewicz. I'm just going to go with uh, first name, Vladislav, so sorry, explores the Greco-Romans idea of beauty being related to the divine and the good. There was a spiritual quality to ancient Egyptian beauty too. Makeup was a form of adornment used to emulate and communicate with the gods. The connection between beauty and spirituality took a more prescriptive turn in the Middle Ages with the rise of Christianity in Europe. Now, women were exhorted to appear pure and virginal, forever young, writes Mark Tungate in Branded Beauty, How Marketing Changed the Way We Look. Light features like blonde hair, blue eyes, and fair skin were believed to be the physical manifestations of the light of God. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Starting around the 15th century, colonizers went to Africa, Asia, and Latin America and introduced the idea that whiteness is good, that nothing is better than white, Adawe says. If you're white, you had better economic well-being, you had good employment and education attainment. I have a lot to say about this, um, and I'm going to actually leave that for towards the end of the episode. You're going you're gonna to hear me rant. Um... Towards the end of the episode, skin tone has long had class connotations. In early Egyptian, Greek, and Roman societies, lighter skin was associated with belonging to a higher class because a woman with fair skin clearly led a very different life to that of a bronzed laborer, Tungate writes, but colonialism took this concept and applied it across races. It was the same ideology during slavery in the United States, Adawe says. Those with darker skin were working in the fields outside. Those with lighter skin were favored. They worked in the homes. Those with lighter skin were considered beautiful, and that is still an ongoing thing within cultures and within groups. She says that even when the colonizers left the U.S., they, they uh, didn't ever leave. They're still there. They're still there. Even when slavery was abolished, the standard remained. The colonizers left, but they left a legacy, the legacy of whiteness. It's an ongoing colonization of the mindset. This is very true. 
completely agree here uh, with with Adalway what she what she says. Um, but colonizers are still in the United States because the United States is stolen lands. Let's not let's not forget. <sighs> On with the article. The colonizer mindset persists today. It's reflected on the faces in the pages of fashion magazines, which, up until recently, were almost exclusively white. It's there in every foundation range that features ten choices for white women, but only two for black women. A still too common occurrence, despite the industry's newfound focus on more inclusive shade selections. It's built into the cosmetic corporations that continue to sell skin lightening creams in Asia, albeit skin lightening creams that, in response to recent backlash, now have less overtly racist product names. In this way, colonialism gave capitalism a brilliant business model to follow. It illustrated just how easy it is to profit off of deep-seated insecurities stemming from a lifetime of being treated as less than. And so, throughout history, capitalism has sowed the seeds of insecurity in all of us. Much of what we believe to be true about our bodies is nothing more than marketing made up by, uh, made up by beauty brands to make a buck. We've discussed this in previous episodes. <clears throat> so discuss this. In the book War Paint, author Lindy Woodhead documents cosmetics entrepreneur Helena Rubinstein's career writing, she was the first beauty specialist to classify skin as dry, normal, and oily in the early 1900s and used those classifications to sell her face cream, Valaise. It was then that women began to feel the normal functions of their skin, the formation of wrinkles and blemishes, the production of oil, the existence of dead skin cells, were somehow wrong, and that buying creams would put it right. Similarly, today's typical hair care regime was not prescribed by health experts, but surprise, a marketer. When Eugene Schiller, the creator of L'Oreal, introduced the brand shampoo in 1938, he also introduced a new standard. There are 43 million people in France, he said at the time, according to Tungate. Let's imagine that those 43 million people wash their hair once a week. We would sell 20 times the number of units that we sell at the moment. Schuller summed up his marketing approach. Tell people they're disgusting, they don't smell good, and they're not attractive. Just, you know, subtly. Psychological manipulation is the foundation upon which beauty marketing is built. This method isn't only ideal for selling products, it's also ideal for maintaining the patriarchy. Women are mere beauties in men's culture so that culture can be kept male, Wolf writes in The Beauty Myth. She argues that modern beauty standards were used as political weapons against women's advancement in a violent backlash against feminism and draws a parallel between the feminist movements of the 1960s and 70s and the era's increased policing of women's looks. Feminists were stereotyped as ugly, fuck off, mm -mm. in an effort to undermine their message. The number of diet-related articles in women's magazines rose 70% from 1968 to 1972. In 1975, Xerox withdrew a job offer based on a woman's weight. Oh my god. Throughout the 60s and 70s, courts consistently upheld the right of employers to enforce appearance-based policies on female employees. Politically, psychologically, and legally, the message was clear. Women were only as valuable as they were beautiful, both in the world and in the workplace. Mm, trying to keep my calm, trying to keep my calm. Beauty work became the silent second job of working women everywhere, but while aesthetic enhancement advanced their careers in some ways, it held them back in others. We don't consider the gender gap in time and money spent on beauty. Dr. Renee Ebgeln, a professor of psychology, muses in her book Beauty Sick, but time and money matter. They're essential sources of power and influence and also major sources of freedom. 
The beauty industry reacted to this by rebranding the pursuit of beauty as a form of personal empowerment. Take L'Oreal's famous Because I'm Worth It slogan, said to be penned by a male copywriter in 1973. It was the ideal sentiment for a period when women were demanding greater equality, Tungate writes. It marked a major shift in industry marketing. The shift from having to perform beauty for others to wanting to perform beauty for oneself. As Dr. Edgeln puts it, we've gone from a culture that reminds you that your body is being looked at to you being the most consistent surveyor of your own body. Or, as writer Glennon Doyle puts it, a very effective way to control women is to convince women to control themselves. This message of self-empowerment continues to evolve alongside the feminist movement today, but empowerment marketing still plants and preys upon insecurities. Corporations can only empower consumers with products if consumers are disempowered in the first place. Perhaps the best example of this is Dove's 2004 campaign for real beauty, which featured real women instead of models. Over the years, the ongoing series has been praised by beauty media and consumers alike for rebelling against beauty standards. And yet, Tungate says, the product tied to the initial ad was a skin-firming cream that claimed to reduce the appearance of cellulite. Cellulite, it must be said, is natural and normal, and getting rid of it is nearly impossible. This is true of most of the things we have been conditioned to change on our bodies. We try to lighten our skin or darken our skin. We alter our hair color and hair texture. We attempt to slow, stop, and reverse aging. We remove fat from our stomachs and arms and add it to our breasts and butts. We remove hair from our legs and our armpits. We glue it to our eyelashes and tattoo it onto our brow bones. The things we idolize are physical impossibilities, so the time and money-consuming pursuit of them never ends, and that is all on purpose. The bottom line is always to sell products. Phyllis Ellis, the documentarian behind 2018's Toxic Beauty, tells Teen Vogue, If we think the beauty industry is about anything else, that's a mistake. But I'm sensitive and aware about the beauty-shaming part of this. It's not about making people feel bad because they wear mascara. What I'm interested in is leaning into the why. The why is what I'll be exploring each month in Standard Issues, a space dedicated to unearthing and ripping up the rotten roots of the beauty industry and rebuilding something better. An industry that doesn't prey on insecurities while peddling empowerment. A definition of beauty that isn't conveniently identical to the patriarchy's definition. A world where it doesn't take the cold-blooded killing of black women and men for black beauty brands to make headlines. I believe the work of subverting beauty standards is the work of liberation, equality, and wellness. It is self-care and community care. It is spiritual. It is political. It is essential. Because when beauty standards change, the world does too. All right. So we've come to the end of the article. And as you know, I'm going to have to give my final thoughts. I'm going to maybe go into a bit of a rant and rave. Maybe. Just maybe. So the whole point of Beauty Unlocked is to bring to your attention the darker side of society's obsession with physical beauty and these body ideals, right? And we do this by researching and then presenting to you these articles that I find from various authors, whether they be like vloggers, bloggers, uh, freelance writers, etc., etc. You're well aware of how you know, the beauty industry works. You're well aware of how the health and wellness industry works. You're well aware of how diet culture works, right? These industries, they're built on feeding us lies. It's based on force-feeding us the idea that we do not fit into this box 
of beauty and body ideals. And yes, 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 I know. There are always these trends, right? That I, I'm well aware of. But at the end of the day, there's always a standard. And that standard, most of the time, is inher- not, not even most of the time, is inherently racist somehow. <laughs> All these industries are no better than the other. And their marketing tactics are the same. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You have blemishes. You have this. You have that. Um, you have a fupa. Whatever it is. I mean, we've talked about it all. You got a hairy. You got hairy nipples. You got whatever it might be. You got hip dips. Wait, what? <laughs> it's all the same. They're all saying the same thing. You're not good enough. And we have something to help you. We have something to sell to you, right? The thing is. If it was a one-time fix, right, then I wouldn't be spending thousands of euros or dollars or whatever the currency you're using. I wouldn't be spending that amount of money for you to make me better, right? Because if it was a one-time fix, then all these industries would go bust. And yes, advertisements in a way or marketing has changed before it was just blatantly in-your-face racist and now it's subtly racist, So when you're mindlessly scrolling, you know, on social media or you come across an ad in a magazine or wherever, whatever, you see something on TV, my hope is this, that your memory is jarred to episodes of Beauty Unlocked and you see behind the lies. You catch them in the lies and I hope that you call them out. And no, that doesn't mean that I... um, endorse cancel culture because I don't believe in cancel culture. Cancel culture does nothing. It doesn't bring um, accountability. So I'm not saying go and just cancel this person out or this brand out or whatever. No, 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 no. Because I don't believe in it. They don't, it doesn't hold them accountable for their actions. And last but not least, I want you to realize that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you and that there's something wrong with society's distorted perception of beauty. And this is what we're doing here on Beauty Unlocked. The why, the where, the how, the how come, what's happening and whatnot. The root cause of the problem. Well, we, we know. After so many episodes, I think, I think we know the root cause of the problem. It's inherently racist, sexist, misogynistic. It is the patriarchy. And many people will be like, oh, you're one of those feminists. And it's just like, mm-hmm. Yeah, but if it doesn't include intersectionality, I'm not interested. And no, I'm not a man hater. All right, because I I know that everybody has been affected by what they've been force feeding us our entire lifetimes and for generations, not just us. We we inherited this also from our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents and our ancestors. That's how it is. They've been affected. At the end of the day, we've been affected by it, too. So understand that there is nothing wrong with you at all. Whew. With all that being said, I actually switched off the air conditioning so that you wouldn't hear it in the background because, you know, my microphone just catches everything. (laughs) And I am sweating buckets because I am just, oh my God. I could go on and on and on. You are all well aware that my rants and raves can be never ending. (laughs) But um, I'm going to save you from that. I'm going to say to you that I hope you enjoyed this thought-provoking episode that it made you think a little bit more about how uh, society works and why we see things the way we do. Um, So I do wish you 
happy, safe, and blessed weekend. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, beauty underscore unlocked underscore podcast. Uh, send me an email. I'm always happy to, to, to re- you know, to receive emails. You can send me an email at beautyunlockedpodcast at gmail.com. So as I said, I hope you enjoy your weekend and you will hear from me next week. Bye. Make it clap, 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 clap.